Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Pro-Trump mob violence at the U.S. Capitol yesterday disrupted the electoral vote count and has left four people dead. But after a long delay, Congress certified President-elect Joe Biden's victory early this morning. Congresswoman Anna Eshoo called yesterday's insurrection the saddest day of my life. We should demonstrate to the world that the work of our democracy is going to continue, regardless of these hooligans and the man who sent them here. Bay Area Democrats are calling on Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove Trump from office. And coming up, we'll get the latest on the riot and hear your response to the shocking attack on democracy next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Violent extremists loyal to President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol yesterday in an attempt to prevent Congress from confirming electoral votes for President-elect Joe Biden. The mob smashed windows, clashed with police, and four people are dead. And in response, Trump belatedly called on the rioters to go home, but at the same time reiterated false claims that the election was stolen. Lawmakers ultimately certified the results of November's presidential election, but across the country, voters are reeling in the aftermath of a lethal attack on this country's democratic process. Joining us first to share his reaction to Silicon Valley, Congressman Ro Khanna, and welcome back to Forum. Congressman Khanna, good to have you with us. Good to be back on, Michael. Well, I'm still kind of searching for words to describe what I think has often been described already as an infamous day, hearkening back to Franklin Roosevelt talking about Pearl Harbor, December 7, 1941. This was shameful, it was disgraceful, and it was appalling. And what was it like for you in the people's house, under attack and invaded? Well, it was uh, appalling and uh, outrageous. Uh, We had to evacuate first the uh, cannon building uh, when there were reports that there was a nearby pipe bomb. Uh, We evacuated to uh, Longworth, which is another uh, building of, of the house. We were headed towards the Capitol, and then we heard, no, uh, you need to go back and shelter in place. Uh, And we still didn't know whether Cannon uh, had uh, any explosives in it, but we obviously, it was a better option to be sheltering there than to uh, be overrun with the protesters. So it was a a chaos. Uh, Obviously, my uh, heart breaks for the woman uh, who was killed. Uh, We saw saw a loss of life. And it was uh, a, a assault on uh, the democratic uh, democratic process. I mean, it's uh, something I never thought I would live to see in, in the United States. No, it's terribly sad. And historically, it makes you think of uh, the British invading and burning Washington in 1814 or Fort Sumner uh, under Confederate victory or, or even 9-11. Uh, I mean, it has that kind of historical weight to it, I'm afraid. I'm just wondering, at this point, about accountability, not only president's accountability, because the president certainly had a great deal to do, the majority to do with inspiring this uh, and leading to what happened, being the catalyst for it. But what about all those uh, who really need to be arrested and need to be brought to the bar of justice? 
Yes, they do. There has to be a uh, investigation of who broke down uh, the barricades. Uh, frankly, there needs to be an investigation of the Capitol Police. I mean, there are reports that some of the police officers uh, allowed the uh, protesters to come in, and there are reports, uh, allegations of whether some of the Capitol Police uh, had been infiltrated. So there needs to be a full accounting on uh, an investigation into the conduct of the, the police department. There needs to be an investigation into who all was involved, and then uh, arrests made for uh, subverting uh, democracy. On this very sober, sad day note, I do want to note uh, some positive, which is that you had uh, the president's own party uh, in power in states certify the results for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You had the president's court basically uh, refuse to overturn an election. You had the president's party in the Senate uh, vote overwhelmingly uh, to certify uh, Biden and Harris. So there are institutions of our democracy that in the end of the day did prevail. And also, as a Democratic uh, congressman, must be uh, positive your feeling about what occurred in Georgia? That was uh, historic. I mean, Stacey Abrams, I think, is a modern-day patron saint for voting rights. I mean, what she had pulled off uh, it, it has changed, uh, changed the state. And then for uh, President Biden and our time in Congress, we can now get things done, uh, no longer dependent on, uh, on Mitch McConnell. And so there's a lot uh, to think about as a new beginning for our democracy uh, with uh, Trump gone, with McConnell no longer uh, in charge. And I, I do think genuinely this was a turning point uh, in, our, in the country's perception about Donald Trump. People keep asking me often over the last four years, what do your Republican colleagues think? What do Trump supporters think? Uh, I had for the first time Republicans, people who had voted for Trump, uh, saying uh, this is a bridge too far. This has gone too long. In fact, one person said he needs psychi psychiatric help. So I, I, I think this may be the final straw for him, even with a lot of his supporters. I think it's also been said, probably with great accuracy, it's a permanent irrevocable stain on his legacy and on his, on his presidency. I'm also wondering, since you mentioned the Capitol Police, uh, I mean, they have a $460 million budget. They have 2,300 personnel. One has to raise questions about why they weren't able, but th their response has been they were protecting you, the legislators. I don't know how they think uh, letting uh, uh, a lot of protesters, some armed storm into the Senate and the House, whereas protecting uh, the, the the legislators. Uh, I mean, look, there were Capitol Police officers who did an exceptionally good job. I salute those uh, who uh, at risk to their own safety uh, served. I don't think that the problem is with individual Capitol Police officers, many of whom who are, are, are heroic. But there are questions about why we were not uh, better prepared when these uh, 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 attacks were being planned on social media. It's not like it was a surprise. Uh, why? Uh, and then whether it's really true that some of these barriers were compromised and uh, the police officers exercised wrong judgment. Now, I don't know if that's true factually, but there have been enough reports that I think it needs to be looked into. Talking with Bay Area Congressman Rokana, who is a Silicon Valley congressman, and speaking about Silicon Valley, Congressman Khanna, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said today that President Trump has been blocked from posting to his Facebook and Instagram account indefinitely. What's your response? I think it's the appropriate action. I uh, am very uh, reluctant to, to, to see even uh, corporate censorship. 
but in this case, you have someone who is inciting violence, who is uh, subverting the democratic process and the peaceful transition of power. Uh, it's after the election, so it's not restricting him from having his viewpoint out there. Uh, and I, I think it's appropriate. And I say this as someone who didn't think that uh, the Hunter Biden story needed to be uh, censored. So I'm usually very deferential to allowing things into the public sphere, but not uh, the incitement of violence. Congressman Khanna, good to have you with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That's Ro Khanna. And let me tell you who else is joining us for this hour. Anita Kumar is with us, White House correspondent and associate editor of Politico. Welcome, Anita. Nita Kumar. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm sorry, a little bit of a delay there. Glad to have you. Also want to welcome Masha Gessen, who is staff writer for The New Yorker, author of Surviving Autocracy. And we welcome you back to Forum, Masha Gessen. Good morning. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to have you with us. And David Graham is also with us, staff writer for The Atlantic. Welcome back, David Graham. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have all of you aboard. And let me, if I may, uh, also invite you, our listeners, to join us. Your reaction to the riot, you can give us a call now. I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. Again, your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Nita Kumar, I'd like to begin with you and just get your sense of what has actually occurred in terms of politics. We've got... uh, Breaking ranks from McConnell, from Lindsey Graham. We've got uh, clearly some antagonism that seems to be generated from Vice President Pence for being taken and held to account by President Trump. Uh, What does all this mean? How do we sort it out politically? Well, there's so many different things going on. I I guess I would, you know, look at it from where we are with the presidency. We've got less than two weeks and left, and President Trump is very much finding himself more isolated than he's ever been um, in the last four years. You know, partly that's because he chose to fight the election when a lot of people didn't think he should do that. And he surrounded himself only by a very small group of aides and and lawyers who weren't going to tell him not to do it. And in fact, were sort of egging him on. But yesterday you saw just a sea change, I think, in Republicans. Finally, after four years of them largely siding with him, You're seeing aides leaving really in droves from the White House. Uh, You're seeing people come out publicly. You mentioned uh, some, you know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is very, you know, that is a very, was very striking yesterday, you know, parting ways with him, really saying that he, as Lindsey Graham said yesterday, enough is enough. So, you know, we'll see how the next two weeks, the last two weeks of this presidency are, but it's, it, it feels like it's done today, if that makes sense. It does make sense, certainly to many people. Whether it makes sense to the president, of course, is another matter entirely. And uh, Masha Gessen, uh, you've, you've written a couple of things that I really want you to comment on. One it was about the difference between what happened yesterday as opposed to what has gone on in the past in terms of protests. It, well, first, if I may respond to what Anita said, I think that um, while, yes, we have seen reaction, we have seen departures, what's striking to me is the opposite, right? Uh, what's striking to me is that members of Congress went sort of back almost to business as usual. And, but more than that, that more than 100 members of Congress continued to vote against certifying electoral results from a number of states, um, you know, signaling their feudal but, but highly symbolic alliance with the president even after the invasion. And I think that's absolutely terrifying. 
So I do have a piece in the New Yorker today about what I think the reasons are for the striking difference in the way that the Capitol Police responded to um, this invasion and the way that law enforcement in Washington responded to Black Lives Matter protests last summer and has historically responded to protests, right? Um, I mentioned that, for example, the novelist Sarah Shulman posted a picture of herself at a 1982 protest after which she said, uh, 1982 protest for abortion rights, after which she said she was arrested and had an 11 day jury trial, right? And if you look at, you know, if you look at that picture, it's so recognizable. Some women dressed in attire that will get them admitted to the Capitol, holding signs that say, you know, we, uh, we want abortion rights and quality childcare and, the disruption for which people are routinely arrested by the Capitol Police amount to people basically send, uh, shouting out messages during congressional hearings, engaging the media in the, and the public and putting pressure on Congress people in order to get them to do their jobs in a somewhat different way. We have to break away for 60 seconds. We'll be back. We're going to talk more with Masha Gessen, also with Anita Kumar and David Graham, and you, our listeners, and we do invite you to be part of the program. Again, you can join us toll-free at 866-733-6786. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Let me bring a caller on here. Laura joins us. And Laura, welcome. You're on the air. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to bring a quote again from yesterday. I, I recognize it's important to be able to uh, <clears throat> not focus on some of the incendiary things that Trump said, but I also feel like the, at the same time it's important to recognize what he said in the, at the level of which it was not only dangerous to our democracy, but so clearly in the line of uh, the, uh, white supremacy, history of white supremacy. And so the, the words that he spoke yesterday to me were just uh, un, undoubtedly grounds for invoking the 25th Amendment. These are the, this is what he said. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great, uh, great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. I mean, this this man is is demonstrating every authoritarian character he has, and I, it's so clear to me that this is this is somebody who's a threat to democracy and needs to be immediately removed from office. Is no no longer uh, capable of <laughs> dispatching his duties. So I uh, just want to make sure we're 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 fully grasping <laughs> the language he's using in, in every way. Oh, Laura, I thank you for that call. And let me go back to you, Masha Gessen, because Masha Gessen is really one of our foremost experts on autocracy and certainly has 
written a great deal not only about autocracy but about Putin, who probably President Trump admires more than any other uh, person on the earth. Uh, the, the reality here is that um, uh, the president has very much acted in this vein in ways that are traditionally autocratic. I mean, particularly getting the mob out and inciting the mob. This is an insurrection, really, and it was an attempted coup in many ways. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that we're taking it seriously enough. Again, focusing on aides walking out of the White House, as gratifying as that is, uh, sort of misses the point that there's no systemic response. And I think that actually it was wrong of the members of Congress to go back and sort of demonstrate that they're able to go to business as usual, as though there weren't an existential emergency, right? We have a deranged, desperate, would-be despot in the White House, in the White House for another two weeks. He is commander-in-chief and president. He hasn't been able to dispatch the duties of the presidency for a long time, I would argue, from the very beginning. And yet he has still all the instruments at his disposal. And that is an emergency. And by not treating it as an emergency, by sort of acting as though it will pass and we can somehow back, go back to an imaginary normal, we're enabling you know, what, what we call what the, the Hungarian scholar of autocracy, Balint Magyar, whom I follow, calls an autocratic breakthrough. And if it's not successful this time, it still lays the groundwork for success in four years or eight years or whenever it gets its next chance. Yeah, and we're going to bring David Graham into this. But before I go to you, David, I want to go back to Nita Kumar for a moment, uh, just picking up on what we heard from Masha Gessen. What's being done uh, with respect to, well, the 25th Amendment? There's been certainly talk about impeachment proceedings. Uh, there's a lot of rumbling, and there's actually perhaps more than talk. Elon Omar, for example, has actually, I think, gone ahead and put forward new articles of impeachment. Uh, at the same time, you've got Democrats on the Judiciary Committee trying to uh, convince Mike Pence that the 25th Amendment is appropriate. Is any of this going to get real traction, do you think? I don't really think so, because there is so little time left. And I was talking to people yesterday who just understand the mechanics of this and how it works. And it would take longer um, than you know, what we have left, which is really two weeks, less than two weeks. And so I don't think that people think that that is going to happen. But you are right. There is so much talk about it. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, probably soon to be majority leader, in, uh, came out today and said that he was calling for the president to be removed, whether that's by the 25th Amendment or impeachment. And, and most Many prominent Democrats are are saying the same thing, and even some Republicans. You know, it's a little bit unclear how seriously Trump administration officials are talking about it. Definitely in low levels at the staff level, uh, you're hearing that. But I think there's a sense that that is not logistically going possible or going to happen in the next two weeks. Let me bring Kate on as our next caller. Kate, please go ahead. Hi, um, this is Kate in Oakland, and I have to say I am completely outraged this morning to hear you and Ro Khanna extend your, I think, uh, your hearts went out to the woman who died from San Diego. Congressman Khanna said his heart was broken about the woman's death. That's correct. I didn't say anything, but go ahead, please. Okay. So this woman was a terrorist. She was storming our nation's capital. And I believe terrorists run the risk of losing their lives. 
And so I feel like this is a, uh, yet another example of white privilege where this white woman gets our sympathy and black people killed in everyday encounters with law enforcement. They get examined as to who they associated with, what were, what were their backgrounds. Anyway, I'm just, I'm floored. Well, I'm glad you were able to express your emotions, and I thank you for the call. And I want to bring this up with David Graham. David Graham, uh, if uh, one of my former producers, uh, one of the former uh, foreign producers, a very strong, proud black woman uh, by the name of Candace Francis, who now works with the ACLU, posted on Facebook, uh, if they were black, they'd be dead. And one can't help escape the notion that if this had been, for example, a riot a mob riot by Black Lives Matter or by Antifa or by Muslims, it would have been a very different picture, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think we have to, to resort to hypotheticals. We can see what the administration did over the summer when there were Black Lives Matter protests outside the White House, and it was they met them with overwhelming force. You know, we saw a deployment of, uh, uh, you know, alphabet soup of federal police pulled in from all over the place, the Bureau of Prisons, the FBI, you name it. Um, and we saw the clearing of, of Lafayette Square. Um, you know, it's clear that the U.S. Capitol Police were not prepared enough for this. Um, and, uh, you know, whether that was negligence or, or what, it, I think it's a little early to say, as Congressman kind of said. Um, but I do think it's fair to say that in, in a circumstance where you have uh, people of color who are demonstrating or people, you know, demonstrating on behalf of people of color, even, you've seen a much more aggressive response from the government. Mm -hmm. And what's your response, David Graham, to the, the president uh, really trying to probably keep attention on himself and feed his base and whipping them up into this kind of frenzy as he did yesterday? I mean, he can still do a great deal of damage with the time he has left as a lame duck. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we, we saw him inciting the riot uh, in the first place. And then in his comments afterward, he, he told them to go home, but he didn't condemn what they were doing. He said, we love you. You're very special. Uh, he vindicated what they did. He repeated the same incitements. Um, the statement that he put out via his aide, Dan Scavino, last night, um, because his own Twitter account was blocked, you know, again, it, it repeats the same incitements. Uh, it's a little bit vague when he says there will be an orderly transition. You know, there already has not been an orderly transition. We, we saw the failure of that uh, yesterday. Um, so, I, you know, I don't see a lot of uh, contrition on his part or even a, um, a willingness to play at contrition. And let me bring another caller aboard. Roger joins us from Salt Lake City. Roger, welcome. You're on forum. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yesterday, I was absolutely heartbroken uh, and simultaneously livid that uh, not only at, at Trump for doing what he's done, but for those who have supported him and stayed silent in the last four years, but also have been echoing him these last two months. I think they should be held. It's a little too late for Trump, I think, to be held culpable, but those senators and congressmen should be called out and, and shamed and held responsible because these actions, they have consequences. And we saw that come to a peak yesterday and it's just, it's heartbreaking and it's, it's maddening that, uh, you know, they're doing this, whether it's to make them make a name for themselves for future political gains or, or what, but I think it's completely unacceptable and, and should not be put up with. Well, Roger, I thank you for the call. I appreciate hearing from you. And, uh, I'm going to read some comments that are coming in by emails here. I'll start with one from a listener named Maria who writes, Why were no police officers anywhere to be seen as there is footage of Trump supporters walking all over the Capitol? Why didn't the lobby police call for backup immediately? Something's wrong with people climbing up that building and having no police show up for such a long time. 
Let me go back to you, Masha Gessen, because uh, you take the position, you say it could have been the police in cahoots with Trump, but you dismiss that as uh, another conspiracy theory or probably at least uh, don't give it the credence, perhaps that some do, because it sounds like conspiracy. You brought up an interesting point, though, that I thought really needs to be reckoned with, and that is indifference, that it may have just been indifference. You know, I think I try to talk about a lack of fear in that piece. And this is a kind of lack of fear that I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about. Because back when I still lived in Russia and I wrote a lot about Putin, I would be chided by journalists who took themselves very seriously, who um, who had access to the Kremlin. And they would uh, chide me for taking Putin and his goons very seriously. And what was amazing about this is that I would have these conversations with them where they wouldn't deny that he would have people killed uh, and that sort of thing. But still, they kind of just didn't take him seriously. And I, and I finally realized, or I finally came to the, to the understanding that, um, that it was because of the access. It was because they inhabited the same world that he did. Because he was familiar, that they simply didn't feel the fear. And I think that's an explanation for what we witnessed yesterday. It's certainly one of the explanations, right? Um, that there's a kind of familiarity that that precludes fear. We fear the other. We don't fear people that we see as being like us. And I think the amazing, the shocking thing about yesterday was that these marauding protesters, these rioters, these invaders, right? I would not call them terrorists because actually they were, you know, they were carrying out an attempted coup, which is very different. Um, they were familiar to the Capitol Police. They're familiar to law enforcement, as is Donald Trump, which is the privilege of being dismissed as a clown. And Black Lives Matter protesters and even women, uh, survivors of sexual assault who were arrested during the Kavanaugh hearings are other. And they inspire fear. And I think that's, that's a really terrifying understanding for those of us who feel less protected after what we witnessed last night. And once again, Marsha Gessen is staff writer for The New Yorker and author of Surviving Autocracy. And here is Lori joining us from Napa. Lori, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for this program. I'm really concerned that um, even though it is obviously extremely important to certify the presidential vote, that um, our leaders like Pelosi and Biden are um, making a rush to conciliate and that these people, both the people that attacked the Capitol yesterday and the lawmakers and other pol- political figures whose rhetoric has supported the lie that the election was fraudulent, etc., and egg these people on yesterday in particular, will not be held to account and that this sets a precedent for future actions. I'm glad you raised the question, Laurie, and I thank you for it about accountability. In fact, I'm looking at a tweet here from another listener named Hyen who says that what happened yesterday was planned and enabled by a party who has gotten away with racist and hostile behavior for decades. How dangerous is it to give erratic Republicans a platform, especially when they say ridiculous things to stir violence? And, uh, this listener says, including recall of California Governor Gavin Newsom. Let me go to you on this, uh, David Graham. I mean, the question of accountability looms over this, especially with those who have uh, essentially been the enablers of the president. 
I mean, I think Masha is right to call out the lack of, of any action, you know, much action so far. We see a little bit of movement about articles of impeachment. We see the rumors about the, the 25th Amendment. But we have, you know, we've seen this pattern over and over again. We've heard reports about the 25th Amendment, and it, it's not that the reports are faulty. It's that, it, it, you know, doesn't seem to go anywhere inside the administration. And over and over again, whether it's the Access Hollywood tape or, um, you know, the, the firing of Comey or... Um, uh, Helsinki or the impeachment, we've seen Republicans act upset initially uh, and then back away from that, maybe even start defending the president, vindicating his behavior. Uh, and these things get written off as, as just sort of uh, weird flare ups rather than what they are, which is a procession of pretty serious crises. And let me bring another caller aboard. Tarney joins us next. Tarney, welcome. You're on the air. Yes. Yeah, that's two short sentences. First of all, I was very disappointed to hear Rokana use the word protest. And I would hope that nobody, either in print or on the air, will use either protest or protesters again. This was not a protest. It was literally an armed insurrection. And secondly, Michael, I want to thank you for bringing up the Georgia election, even parenthetically. I mean, yesterday was a horrible day. It was also a fabulous day. I mean, that election was historic, too honorable, you know, public service-minded Democrats elected from Georgia was historic, and I don't want to overlook that. And thank you for that. Appreciate your call. Uh, David Graham, let me go back to you for a moment on this, uh, because there's a lot of protest against the use of the word protest. Uh, there were people there who were saying that uh, journalists should be killed and anybody against uh, President Trump should be killed. And there were also people who were there who were drawn by President uh, Trump's demagoguery and may have uh, been there for nonviolent purposes. I mean, it's difficult to get the whole swath of this, I think. Uh, but what word is really appropriate here? It was sedition. It was domestic terror. It was violence and chaos. It was an insurrection and it was an attempted coup. It was all those things, really, wasn't it? I think that's right. I mean, you know, th there were people who were there for uh, some other purpose, um, which I think, you know, is we can acknowledge, although it's obviously not the point. You know, I, I described it as an attempted coup. I think that's what we saw. It was a pretty sloppy one. I don't know what these people thought they were going to achieve when they got inside the building. It does, it's not like this is a, a um, well thought out, but it was an attempt, you know, it was an, an assault on the seat of the U.S. government and an attempt to disrupt the Constitution. If that isn't an attempted coup, I'm not sure what qualifies. And here's Denise joining us next. Denise, good morning. Welcome to Forum. You're on the hey, air. Good morning. Um, good morning. And thanks for being here. And thanks for doing all you do, Michael. I just had a couple of points and it may be something that seems so off topic right now, but I got friends. I'm a nurse practitioner. I got friends across the U.S. that are in clinics that cannot afford to buy testing, can't afford to vaccinate. I got cousins and nieces that are teachers in California school district that spend their own money on stuff. Who's going to pay for all this? Who's going to pay for the damage to the to the Capitol? Who's going to pay the police? Who's going to fix the lawns, for God's sake? You know, we're going to pay for that. And I'm telling you, my nieces that are buying their own school books for their kids that are in poor schools up in Sacramento, they probably like to have a little bit of that money just to fix the lawns. I mean, well, I you raise an important and I think a, a really uh Integral question. Let me go back to you, Anita Kumar, on this. I think uh, the caller's point, uh, question is really an important one. Who's going to pay? Uh, we're going to pay the citizens, I presume. Yeah, I mean, the taxpayers are going to pay. It was damage and and to to a government building, and we're going to pay for all of that. We, the collective, we. But you know, the the caller makes a great point. There are a lot of people still. You know, we haven't talked about coronavirus and we haven't talked about this economy and there's so much going on 
that needs to be dealt with. Um, you know, part of what I keep hearing over and over again uh, about President Trump and the administration is there he just hasn't been focused on that the last two months as he focused on the election. And so while we continue to go through this global pandemic and really have a surge and people are hurting, uh, you know, there hasn't been that focus from the White House on that. And there, there is a pandemic that, uh, that has killed 300,000 people. There's a cyber attack. There's uh, a number one obligation of the president of the United States to protect the citizenry of the nation. And all of that seems to have been, to some extent, is it fair to say, Anita, shunted aside because this president lost an election that he felt was rigged or is trying to pretend was rigged? I do think that you know people in the administration, in the agencies have continued to work. But from what I understand from people who have talked to the president, been around the president, his focus has not been there. His focus has been on this election for the last two months. And I'm going to read a comment from a listener named Abdul who writes, yesterday was an attack by the MAGA terrorists. And let's make sure we refer to them as terrorists. The stigma needs to stick. How do the guests realistically believe anything but a harsh response won't simply embolden these extremists? And if the gentle approach is what's called for, then why not with ISIS or other terrorists? We'll come back to that in a moment. We're going to a break. We're talking with Anita Kumar from Politico, Masha Gessen from The New Yorker, and David Graham from The Atlantic, and you, our listeners. And again, feel free to join us at 866-733-6786 or email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about yesterday's assault on democracy with Anita Kumar, who is White House correspondent and associate editor with Politico, and Marsha Gessen, staff writer for The New Yorker and author of Surviving Autocracy, and David Graham, who is staff writer for The New Yorker. If you have a reaction you'd like to bring to the table here or let us know about, you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us with any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Uh, by the way, I think I said, David Graham, you're with The New Yorker. Uh, you are with The Atlantic, and let's make that clear abundantly. Uh, I'm going to read a couple comments, and I'm going to go back to that email from Abdul. Uh, this is uh, Trish who writes, After the horrific Capitol events yesterday, holding an outdoor inauguration would be grossly imprudent. Let's err on the side of caution and skip the usual Inauguration Day pageantry in favor of keeping our new presidential team safe. And Hope writes, our uh, representatives uh, calling for impeachment, uh, uh, the traitor-in-chief needs to be held accountable. And uh, uh, let me just uh, make sure I'm reading this here. And never allowed to hold public office again. I'm hearing lots of hand-wringing, but no action. Will this be another Susan Collins moment when the outcome, where the outcome is a statement that we think we've learned his lesson, uh, her lesson, um, back to you, Masha Gessen, uh, on that c- question about Abdul. Should, are we really obliged here, do you think? And is it entirely appropriate, as he suggests, to treat this uh, attempted coup as domestic terrorism on the likes of uh, what we would do about ISIS or an invading force? Well, we actually don't know what we would do in the case of domestic terrorism. There, uh, 
we, there isn't a whole lot of legal and political precedent in the United States. I think it's actually wrong to call it terrorism. Um, and obviously terms like terrorism don't have single definitions either in our vernacular or in, 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 uh, in law. But usually the objects of attack of terrorists are different than their actual enemies. Right. Usually terrorists attack civilians in order to attract attention, to draw attention to a political message. And usually terrorists are actually not trying to usurp power. What we're talking about is an attempted coup. There's no doubt that the people who invaded the Capitol were actually meaning to attack the people in the Senate and Congress, not to sow terror, not to sow fear in the civilian population. It is also clear that they were trying to usurp power. And I think that's informative because that makes us think about who is actually um, at fault and who needs to be brought to justice. And I would really, really hate to see the outcome of this be a conversation about how we need more security in the Capitol and we need to punish people who, um, who protest at the Capitol more harshly, which I think is a huge risk of this conversation. The conversation we really need to be having is how do we deal with the instigator in chief? And for that, we need to keep an eye on the actual goal of, the, of these rioters, which was to usurp power. And their leader in that is Donald Trump. Here's Joe from Berkeley. Joe, you're on with us. Good morning. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, first, I really appreciate what Masha said about sort of the indifference of um, the way the Capitol Police greeted these rioters, insurrectionists, whatever we're calling them, um, and just sort of the sense of familiarity. My question is, I don't really have a clear sense of what the process is for deciding how to prosecute some of these people who are probably out of state now. Who's making these decisions? How are they going to find them? How are they going to bring charges? Who are the people in charge of that? Thanks. Joe, thank you for that question. Uh, Anita, can you help us here? Well, I don't know all the details, but Capitol Police are supposed to be in charge, um, and they were in charge yesterday, and they are the ones that are being criticized, rightly so, and uh, we are going to see investigations into to their behavior. We've also seen the, you know, the city, the District of Columbia, the police chief, and, and the mayor talking as well, um, and they've, you know, they've asked for other law enforcement to help out, but I you know, the Virginia police is also here uh, in Washington, but really it goes back to the Capitol police and, and what that, what they're going to do. Some arrests have been made, but um, obviously people think there should be more arrests and that it didn't so far, what they've done has not gotten to everybody, everybody that was involved. Yeah. And I've got a tweet here from a listener named Aaron who uh, wants to remind us about uh, criminal penalties for inciting insurrection and sedition. And let me ask you, Anita, if I may, about more resignations that may be forthcoming from the White House. There's been a lot of talk, for example, Robert O'Brien, national security uh, resignation. And uh, as I think you alluded to earlier, um, the First Lady's uh, chief of staff resigned. There are other people in security who have resigned. Uh, are we going to see a lot of dominoes falling here, do you think? Uh, we are. We've we've been seeing it for the last, you know, 12, 15, 16 hours. And um, you know, Mick Mulvaney, who was uh, President Trump's chief of staff and, and an envoy to Ireland, he resigned and he uh, said today that he expects many more today to come. So we're seeing people that are high profile. We're also seeing low level staffers. You know, I should add, 
they were going to be out of their jobs in two weeks anyway. So there are a lot of people saying, well, does that really take a lot of, to, of courage to leave two weeks early? But I do think that they are trying to make a point, particularly those that are um, making the reason public. They are going on television or putting out statements saying they disagree with the president and they no longer want to work for him. And I want to read a comment from a listener named, they may also, of course, be just trying to salvage their reputation as best they can. But let me read a comment from Curtis, who writes, Trump walks and talks at the edge of legal culpability, but it's clear what his goal is at this point. Trump has the support of private militias and crazy right-wing white supremacy groups. He's creating some sort of insurgent shadow government complete with its own politicians, media outlets, and religious doctrine. If the Biden administration doesn't crack down hard and fast, the dismantling of our democracy will continue. I want to welcome Matt as our next caller. Matt, good morning. Howdy. Um, Good morning. Um, I just wanted to kind of set the record straight. I, I heard Uh, some media outlets uh, saying that what we saw yesterday was anarchy. Um, This wasn't anarchy. Uh, This was pro-fascism. And we were broadcasting to the world that uh, fascism is easy and it's a slippery slope and it's pretty easy to get an endorsement of it. I thank you for those comments. And I just noticed that uh, Lowell Bergman has sent me a message, uh, well-known journalist, and uh, in fact, uh, well-known not only here in the Bay Area, but throughout the country and world. And he writes, Trump has normalized the national white supremacist cause to many I have talked with. He says what we are thinking, aka feeling. The event yesterday had almost no consequences for his troops, yet they inflicted incredible damage. I think we're missing the likelihood that there will be more attacks unless there are immediate consequences for his deputies and all those involved in those attacks or any other demonstrations that are being considered nationally. The fact that over 100 members of Congress still wanted to overthrow the election is an indicator. I have not heard any remorse coming from elected officials or prominent financial supporters, from Sheldon Adelson to the Republican governors from Florida to Texas. That silence is ominous. And thank you for the nice uh, note about my retirement, Lowell. Good to hear from you. What do you think, uh, David Graham, about Lowell Bergman's remarks? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. We've seen, um, you know, even in, in what we see sort of before this, I think we saw Trump's impunity because he hadn't been punished. You know, he interfered in the election. He tried to extort Ukraine into assisting him by launching an investigation into Hunter Biden. Um, he was impeached. The Senate did not convict and didn't remove him. And the lesson he took from that was he could continue to do that. So he continued to interfere in the election. He pressured local election official, officials to, you know, not expand access to the ballot, not expand mail-in voting. After the election, he pressured Republican ones to turn up votes or, or to do anything they could to throw out valid votes. Uh, and then he incited, you know, this mob. Um, so, and I think unless there are consequences, um, I see no reason why he would stop. Um, you know, again, we've, we've heard these rumblings about 25th Amendment sort of scenarios and, and people in the White House saying that, you know, he's, he's totally lost it. Um, but we've heard that before. Um, but we haven't seen a whole lot of material action to stop it from happening again. I got David Graham as staff writer for The Atlantic. And Diane tweets us, if the average worker failed to do their jobs and incited a riot, we'd be fired in an instant. It should be no different for our elected officials. And Brendan writes, uh, the only thing that saved us from a coup d'etat is Donald Trump's incompetence. If he would have told the insurrectionists to kill or take hostage the senators and representatives, that would not overturn the election results. They probably would have. That style of political change happened in Iraq, Greece, Italy, and Germany. It is arrogant for us to think it couldn't have happened yesterday. I'd like to get your response to uh, 
Brendan's email there, Masha Gessen. I think Brendan makes a very good point. Um, you know, and um, the sort of instinctive cries of this is not America, this is not us. Um, I mean, we should know better at this point. This is America. Uh, if anything in the last four years has taught us to give up American exceptionalism and look around the world and learn the lessons of how democracies fall, how fascists come to power, and you know, the only thing we have is not some special, special Americanness that will save us. The only thing we have is the benefit of being able to learn from other countries where this has also happened. And we're not doing that when we say, you know, this is not America. It is. And let me read some more emails that are coming in here. I want to read an email from Elizabeth who says, one of your guests said she didn't think there was enough time to invoke the 25th Amendment while the whole process would require more than two weeks left. Section four of the amendment clearly states the vice president immediately takes over as acting president. Isn't this better than gambling with what additional damage Mr. Trump could do in the next couple of weeks? And Kevin tweets, why has Congress gone into recess? They should be impeaching and trying the president. Andrew Johnson impeachment took two days. Senate trial started three days later. There is time to impeach Trump, also prohibit him from running for office again. And let's give you to weigh in here, Anita Kumar, on 25th Amendment or impeachment with the time left. Yeah, I can just tell you what I've heard from uh, Republicans and some Democrats, which is the time, you know, things might have been quicker in the past, but that they feel like they do not have enough time to go through the either of those processes before uh, January 20th. And so I think that there are a lot of people talking about it. I don't think that anyone thinks that it's gonna happen uh, in that short period of time. And an important question from a listener named uh, Colin, I'd like to go to you with uh, David Graham. Uh, Colin writes, aside from Donald Trump, social media networks and conservative news outlets, are also to blame for creating the conspiracy theory monster we saw emerge in physical form yesterday. How can we hold those companies and outlets to account while also preserving free speech? I feel uh, like this problem must be solved, but I have no idea how we could possibly do so. How do we solve this quandary? I think that's a great question. I don't think there there is a clear solution. There is, um, you know, there, there's a robust debate among scholars of the First Amendment about how to deal with the First Amendment in this era? How do we allow free speech um, and also, uh, you know, adjust to, to the sort of digital atmosphere in a place where, you know, speech is not so much scarce and hard to get through, but in fact, um, extremely plentiful and it, it's easy to sort of flood the zone with nonsense. Um, and there's not a clear answer on that. You know, we do want to protect the, the, these First Amendment rights. Um, I think someone, maybe Masha mentioned earlier, you know, similarly along First Amendment lines, we don't want the result of, of this attempted coup to be to make it much harder for people to p protest peacefully. We don't want to make it harder for journalists to get into the Capitol. All of these would, would further erode things. So I, I don't think we have a good answer to that, but it's the right question to be asking. And let me ask you, uh, Masha Gessen, to respond to a listener named Tony who says, uh, brings up a caller before who brought up white privilege and uh, says, your caller was right on. Until this becomes part of the national conversation, this problem won't be solved. I hear them described in different ways, but I never hear the word white included. Masha Gessen? Well, I've certainly heard the word white included, and I think it is a key word, right? It's, it's what make, made these rioters, these invaders, somehow, um, from what we can see, sort of non-threatening to law enforcement. And I think it's what is what made them able to leave the Capitol, you know, many of them uns unscathed. 
Um, I think that the keywords in, in, in the email are actually a national conversation. I think that uh, I'm also dismayed like a previous caller by the fact that Congress has gone into recess and it has gone into recess until after the inauguration. Like there isn't a sense that we need to be having an urgent emergency conversation because something terrible has happened. And unless we sort of renegotiate our politics, unless we reinvent democracy, we're in grave danger. I think there's much more of a sense still even after what senators and congressmen, uh, congresspeople experienced yesterday, there's still a sense that all we have to do is wait until we can go back to normal. And I think that's a huge mistake. Another uh, question for you, Masha Gessen, a listener named me actually responding to what you said about uh, insurrectionists. Uh, she writes, uh, but the attackers did sow fear in civilians. It was an attempted coup and terrorism in her humble opinion. Look, I mean, I, you know, uh, I think that that's a perfectly valid opinion. I think it's important to talk about uh, our terms and try to be as intentional and as exact to further mutual understanding, right? Uh, but I don't think there's any one correct term and all the other ones are wrong. I'll bring another caller on. That's you, Chuck. Thank you for waiting. Join us, please. Yes, uh, I'm Chuck from Kenwood up north of uh, San Francisco. Um, my comment is, or my question is, uh, your previous caller said we were kind of forgetting about the great news from yesterday and that the Democrats took the Senate. But my question is, when do we actually get to take control of the Senate? When is Mitch McConnell not in control and Chuck Schumer is? What day does that happen? And can can we actually get anything done after that? Nita Kuma. Inauguration? Yeah, thank you for that, Chuck. Thank you. Nita, thank you. Go to you. That's a great question. I don't know when the swearing in will be for these senators, but of course, um, Kamala Harris becoming the vice president and presiding over the Senate uh, will be January 20th. So we're, you know, we've got a couple of weeks left. I suspect they will be sworn in before that, though. And Anita, this is Sean who writes, the problem is not Trump alone. The problem extends to all those Republican politicians who have aided their president in his lies, etc., Unless a majority of those 140 members of Congress who continue to support Trump's lies are voted out in 2022 and 2024, then what, if anything, will actually change? Some thoughts from you, Anita, on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I've been hearing from people for the last day about that. Um, and there, I think there is some thought to how to, uh, you know, should those Republicans be punished in some way? Should, you know, what about the people that donated money to them? You know, there's there's that conversation is happening, but I don't think we're seeing anyone saying anything definitive about that. I mean, are those people going to stay in office? It's, it certainly seems like it. So then the question is, you know, what happens next? And what also happens to Republicans who, you know, maybe they say Donald Trump is, uh, you know, we're not going to worry about him. He's leaving office. You know, he's out of the picture. But those tens of millions of supporters, you know, people, Republicans, some Republicans want the support from those Trump supporters. So are they going to change anything because of that? Or are they still going to be talking the way they're talking and doing what they're doing to make sure they have that support? I mean, I think that's something we're going to see going forward, but there's no indication really that any of that's going to change. Well, it also seemed to me, just as an observer of these things, that Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas clearly wanted to 
establish themselves with the base as possible presidential candidates in the next, uh, next election. Uh, it's ironic to me, uh, Ted Cruz's support, when I think about uh, Ted Cruz's father and wife being uh, actually personally uh, insulted by President Trump, and President Trump once again saying it was a rigged election when Ted Cruz beat him in Iowa. Anyway, always appreciate Anita Kumar, your expertise. Thank you for joining us this hour of Forum. Good to have you. Thank you. And thank you, Masha Gessen. Good to have you with us back. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you, David Graham. Pleased to have you again. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. And thank you, our listeners. Appreciative, of course, of your being with us here Monday through Friday, 9 to 11, an hour repeated in the evening. You can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. For all of us here at KQED Public Radio, please stay safe. I'm Michael Christ. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.